Welcome. Today, we are in the last week of our series called Malachi, Fresh Faith. I have been waiting for this day. Pastor John, why have you been waiting for this day? Because the book of Malachi is really, really, really deep and culminates with what we're going to talk about today. This is when the first week, if you're here with us for the first week, it talked about an oracle. And the oracle is a sign of judgment. This is the moment where we get to that, the, the meat, you might say, of Malachi. So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed and go to our version event. Or if you're following along um, with us online, you can do that on another device. Let's pray um, before we get into the passage, which is going to be Malachi 2.17 through Malachi 3.5. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... We come before you this morning, and as we read your word, there's many times that we question you, wonder if you know what's best for us, know what you, if you know what's best for the world around us, and as we look out and we see so many different conflicts between nations, between people, in our families, we wonder, God, are you still good? Do you know what's good? We're going to realize this morning that, that we're not the only ones that think that at times. But the truth is, you are good. So God, meet us this morning with your goodness, your justice, your understanding, so that we see a picture of who you are. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all like to make judgments about life, about people, and about situations. But we really don't like being the ones judged, right? Many times this leads us to judging other people's motives, intentions, as if we can read their minds. Before a pause, before anyone thinks, like, you don't do this. We sometimes want to be the judge, but also the jury, Right? And we're looking everywhere but ourselves. It's much easier to point the finger somewhere else. Some of you have childhood memories of a pastor or a preacher pointing at you. It's much easier to point the finger at someone else instead of pointing at you. We make judgments about what God should be doing and what is good and evil. And we see, when we see others succeed through doing evil acts we start wondering if God has forgotten what is good and what is just. And we want him to intervene, right? Because that would be good and right and true. And we question his ability to bring good and just things in our life. That leaves us with the prophet Malachi in this passage. What does God say when we question his ability to know what is good and just? Turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Verse 17 of chapter 2 and then through uh, verse 5 of chapter 3 is what I'm going to read. I'm going to start with this dialogue in verse 17 that I found very curious the first time I read it. You've got to remember what we, what we learned about last week going into this week. He's saying they're faithless. 
and they need to be faithful. And then verse 17 happens. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? And God responds here by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. And then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppose the hired worker, oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who, who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So, if you're more of a structured person, you may wonder why I started in verse 17. Why the last verse of the previous chapter? And it, it sets up the following verses is why. God is tired of all Israel's talk. You ever have a conversation with someone that they repeatedly don't do what they tell you? That's what's going on here. They don't get it. They're making him tired. Can God get tired? Yes. He rested on the seventh day of creation, so he can get tired. The people are challenging what God says is good and evil. They're questioning where God is and if he's just. And the people say these things. They say, everyone who does evil is good. Think about that. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Where is the God of justice? And something you won't catch in this first verse of chapter 3, but you catch if you, if you read this uh, in Hebrew, is the first word of chapter 3 in Hebrew means, I am right here. He's saying, I am right here. He's, he's, he's like, I just answered your question. I am right here. Now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And so the first messenger is a prophecy about John the Baptist coming before Jesus. When it says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Some of you might notice that that's said in the Gospels as well. The second messenger, the messenger of the covenant, is Jesus, where it says, The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the messenger of salvation. He's coming. But we're also going to see what his other responsibility is. God sent Jesus, the messenger, to save us once and for all. We have to remember that when we read this. God sent Jesus, the messenger, to save us once and for all. But what else does it say there? God is coming to judge, and the people might not like what he is going to say. Any of you seen the movie A Few Good Men? Anybody seen that movie? I see some head nods. Some of us lived in the 90s. I know you young people don't know if you're younger than that. 
There's a point in this movie, A Few Good Men, where Tom Cruise plays a Navy lawyer and Jack Nicholson plays a Marine Corps colonel and they interact. He's on the witness stand. Jack Nicholson's on the witness stand. And Tom Cruise's character is coming in and hammering him, asking him questions, trying to get him to admit that a Marine recruit died from a hazing accident. If you haven't seen the movie, it's got one of the most famous lines in all of movie history. Because Tom Cruise shouts at him and is pointing fingers at him and says, I want the truth! And then you know what Jack Nicholson responds with? Whoa, you guys know the movie. So it says, you can't handle the truth! And he stops there. Why would I even bring that up in a sermon? Because God here is saying very quickly to their request for truth, you can't handle the truth. There's a lot of things that we think we can handle, but we cannot handle the truth because he is the judge. They're saying that he's not the judge. They're saying he doesn't know what is going on and what is evil. True justice is not safe or comfortable for us because it's equal and comprehensive for everyone. When God is the judge, there's no special treatment. Think about that for a second. There's no special treatment. You can't say, oh, well, my cousin knows this guy that knows that. No, it's, that's not how this works. So think about this. You're driving down the highway. You're driving down I-69, and you're driving the speed limit. You're like, oh, it's a construction zone, which is like all over now, right? You're driving 55, the way the signs say, and then all of a sudden flashing lights come up behind you. You're not that worried because you're like, I'm going the speed limit. What could I have done, right? But imagine this. You're late for an appointment, and you're going 85 in a 55 in a construction zone, and lights come up behind you. I don't know about you, but my heart's beating out of my chest because I'm like, oh, great. Is this like a suspended license, or am I going to jail, right? There's a huge difference. Guilty people do not look forward to justice, Because they have nothing to expect on that day but judgment. Think about that. So when verse 2 says, he's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap, if you're guilty, you better be afraid. Because judgment is coming. That's the whole of this book. We get to this point, and then God uses the refiner's fire to get the impurities out of us. If you've ever heated up a metal and there's impurities in it, like gold or silver, what comes up to the top is, is the, the impurities, the things that are not gold and silver. And the refiner heats up the gold and silver and takes the impurities off as they rise to the top. There's like actually a tool to do that. And then God uses the soap to dislodge the dirt in our lives and wash it away. Both of those examples take the worthless from what is valuable. So God in our lives is taking what is worthless out of our lives and putting back and keeping what is valuable. God judges both the the public sin which rises to the top and then that refiner's fire scrapes off the impurities and then the private sin, the dirt that is within us, he purifies with that soap. But what's most important is that God sent Jesus the messenger, to save us once and for all. So when you 
like the speeding example I just gave, think of judgment as like this. We have to remember that the messenger came to save us once and for all. And then what, it even gets further. The you can't handle the truth moment happens in verse 3. He begins with the leadership of the church. And the inevitable result, those Levites were the leadership of the, the temple. They weren't the priests, but they were basically everyone that ran everything there. He begins with the leadership of the church. The inevitable result of God's judgment of people is that we are guilty, if not for the messenger, Jesus. The verdict is clear if it's left up to us. If we are the only ones advocating on our behalf, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guilty. Convicted. It doesn't take anything to do that. With that. Isaiah 53.6 starts by saying, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. When I hear that verse, I think of herding cats. You know, ever, anyone ever hear the term herding cats? It's like, oh, these kids, I can't handle them, they're like herding cats. What is going on? We can't handle this. We're guilty. We're convicted. But then, if you finish that verse, Isaiah 53, 6, the end of it has a different story. And that sometimes we read that first half and we stop there. And we think, okay, I'm guilty, I'm convicted, and we just have this immense amount of shame and guilt on us. But then the second half comes and it says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Iniquity is sin. So God has taken our sin and put it on Jesus. He took our guilt and shame and he put it on Jesus. And God is gracious in sending the Savior of the world. Now, maybe you're thinking in your mind that you've never said what was said in verse 17. Malachi 2.17, you've never said that. You've never thought that. And maybe you haven't. But still, there's ways we do that, whether it's with our words or thoughts. How arrogant and hypocritical are we to advise the judge of all the universe, of all the earth, about what he should do about the problem of evil? I, I'm just blown away. But when God purifies us and refines us through Jesus, it's called sanctification. We progressively become more like Jesus in our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. And we're ready to serve God, as it says in in the passage, serve God righteously as the Holy Spirit changes our life. Jesus is the one that came to save. In case you're not connecting the messenger part here that's so important, and if you miss that, you're going to just focus on all the judgment here. Jesus is the one who came to save. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, an angel comes to Joseph and makes it clear about this unborn child He's talking about Mary, and he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And again, sometimes when we think about this verse, we stop there. Okay, great, Jesus. But then the angel says something that we forget many times, for he will come to save his people from their sins. We can't forget that. 
Jesus came to create a purified people, bringing offerings to him and serving God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul picks up on this when, when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's not just sacrifices on an altar. It's our lives. It's all that we are. God's not asking for much, right? (laughs) But Jesus didn't just come to change how we sacrifice. He came to purify us and cleanse us. And that's what we sometimes, we talk about the love of God, and we forget that the love of God does incorporate what we see in this passage, which is judgment. John the Baptist, referring to Jesus, in Matthew chapter 3, 11, says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to remember. And then it says, and fire. Whoa! That's intense. Change when you become a, a, a Christian is that you are a new creation. You're a new person. God is at pow- God's power is at work in your life through the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a TV show called The Chosen, and the disciples put it this way, and I think this is like a really great way of saying this. I was one way, and now I'm different. And the thing that happened between was him. Jesus is the difference. He is. Change was impossible, but now it's not only possible now, it's inevitable. We can't always see the change happen, but it will happen over time. And God will often humble us in the middle of that. In the middle of change. And show us, separate from him, we can do nothing. Anyone like those experiences in life? Where you realize you can't do anything? And God's the only one that can work it out? I don't. I don't enjoy them. But then I read John chapter 15, verse 5. When Jesus is talking about himself as the vine... And it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. He's the messenger. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. And this last phrase, again, I go back to, you've got to read the whole verse, not just part of the verse. It says, for apart from me you can do nothing. This change that we're talking about is not accessing some inner power that empowers us to keep God's law all by ourselves. To grit our teeth and get through it each day. This change is about growing our dependence on God and our gratefulness for the good news of Jesus Christ. And we'll continue to wrestle with our sin. I mean, can I get an amen to that? We're still going to wrestle. This is, this is not just something that, that we, we move on from. And we're going to wrestle with our brokenness until the second coming of Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection, though, we can have joy that comes again, that when he comes again to judge the whole earth, he's going to complete the refining process. We're going to feel like we're going 55 in the construction zone. We're not going to worry. The judge is here, but we haven't done anything wrong. Because he, he paid the price for us. God sent Jesus, the messenger, to save us once and for all. He sent Jesus as the messenger to save us once and for all. There's no other messenger that's going to save you. 
So we get to verse 5. Anyone like lists of like what not to do? I don't. When I was a kid, it'd be like, my mom would be like, don't do these 10 things. I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm thinking about those 10 things, so I'm going to do all of them. It's great. So this is the list of things God will judge. And he says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. He's addressing the people of God. He's not addressing the pagans or whoever else they're thinking it. He's not addressing the Canaanites, the other people. He's not pointing the finger everywhere else, but God is pointing the finger at us and saying, I'm going to draw near to you for judgment. And it says, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Here are some observations I want us all to think about. A few things here. God gives switch, swift judgment to sorcerers, adulterers, those who give false witness, oppressors of their workers, of widows and orphans. And that word sojourner there means legal immigrant. So it's not, the, the word alien in the Bible refers to some type of illegal immigrant. And then there's, there's the word sojourner, which could mean someone from another country, another culture. And then we need to discuss a little bit about public versus private sins because we tend to classify important sins as the ones others commit, right? Isn't that easy? In our minds, we think, well, the ones we commit are less important. Let me give you a few examples, like I said in my introduction, of us pointing fingers at others as we so often do. And the result of this, some of us, speak against private sins, abortion or sexual sins or stealing. But the same people might be less vocal about public sins. They won't speak about greed or exploiting the poor or, you know, those are just good business practices in our culture. On the other hand, some of us are concerned about how we treat our employees in the community and have compassion on the poor and widows and orphans, but they have less to say about private sins. So you hear things like, Sexuality is an individual choice, and most criminal behavior is, is the result of a neglected childhood. But God judges both public and private the same. And I'm personally challenged as I read this verse not to be out of balance in this, public and private in all matters. Other people's sins are always worse than ours, right? But in reality, when God comes... It's a level playing field. It's no different. So in this list, there's one that sticks out because a lot of the things we have in media and things in our culture, and in this list, sorcery sticks out. It's not always magic in how we think about it. Yes, I want to make it clear, there is evil in the occult, but it happens now in how we interact with God. Think about this for a second with me. When we go to church, and you're here at church, and we go to church to make our life easier, we're committing functional sorcery. When we pray to God as if he's an errand boy, and his job is to solve our problems, giving us the things we are treasuring instead of him, we're committing sorcery. When we start our day like I do occasionally, I confess, by praying, God, help my work get done easily. 
please let the problem people and situations just go away. Get them away from me. I don't have anything to do with them. We are committing functional sorcery. Instead, we should be asking like this prayer. Heavenly Father, help me to depend on you. These challenges are an opportunity to depend on you more than I am now. Help me to see what you're confronting in my life, in my heart, and my soul. Reveal to me more about myself through these problem, people, and situations. We can treat God like his chief end. All he is made to do for all eternity is to glorify and serve us. Or we can treat God like our chief end. What we do is to glorify and serve him. And God answered the question of Malachi here. Where is the God of justice? And he's in my messenger, in Jesus. In humanity's act of calling good evil and evil good, we crucified Jesus on a cross. And at the same time, we chose to release a terrorist instead of him. God himself took our place of judgment. You know, earlier when I read those verses and I said, guilty, convicted. That guilt and that conviction died on the cross and then rose again to new life for us. Jesus was rejected and took the pain of those who were guilty. So I'm going to go back to what I quoted earlier. Can you handle the truth? The truth. Jesus is the messenger of salvation, but he's also the coming judge. He's both. He's the one that said, let the little children come to me. But he's also the one coming back that you're not going to want to see if you're speeding in the construction zone. God sent Jesus, the messenger, to save us once and for all. So what? what? Why does this matter so much? What's the big deal? Why, why does this matter? Because we will pursue God through the messenger, Jesus. The verdict is guilty. And Jesus took that in our place to save us. God was clear from before Jesus was born that he came to save us. There's no other reason for him to come to earth and die on a cross than to save you and I. Our pursuit of God is just starting and will continue after this life into the next. How do we go out in the community? How do we be for our community? We need to point people to Jesus. Point people to the messenger, Jesus. He's the messenger of good news. Despite our guilt, we can be with God for all eternity. Repenting of sin and putting your faith and trust in the grace of God shown in Jesus is the only way. He's the messenger of hope for all eternity. Without him, we walk into the courtroom and we can't handle the truth. So what are we going to do about this? 
We're gonna make choices to bring people to the one who saves, Jesus. There's someone in your life right now that needs to hear this message because they already know that they're guilty. They already feel it. I've had people tell me that they're too far from God. I'm like, God's never too far from anybody. God's right there. He's right next to you. And he sent his son as the only one that saves. All others fall short. One hope for all eternity. And the Savior, Jesus Christ, is it. As the old hymn says, some of you might know this hymn, it says, my hope is built, built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where our hope is. We will build into people the message of salvation. That's what every day, as we talk to someone that's discouraged, or maybe, maybe they don't know what to do about a situation, you just keep building into them the message of hope, the message from the messenger, Jesus Christ, God sent to save and to judge, the righteous one, Salvation has come, and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead at the end of days. It's, it's going to happen. And we can send people out as messengers of salvation. Each one of you this morning walked in to come and sing God's praises and hear God's word preached. And when you leave this morning, you are being sent out as a messenger of salvation. If that's not empowering enough for you, I don't know what is. Because the message of salvation is something all of us can share. We all are messengers of salvation found in Jesus Christ. We're hope givers, we're grace granters, and we're joy makers. Wow, I don't know about you, but I really want to do those things. I want to walk into situations and give hope. I most of the time don't want to give grace, but I can tell you it's the best thing you can possibly do in your relationships. We can grant grace to other people. And making joy is so much fun. This morning I was in our kitchen, and one of our kids is kind of sick, and the other ones... Um, wanted to have a dance party. And I was playing my music, which is like 90s rock, okay? So my kids have no idea what the music is anyways. And I start playing it, and watching my kids dance gave me the most immense joy because they're so uncoordinated. It's just crazy. It's like just, we're going to do this. We're going to make joy. We're going to have fun. We're going to be able to dance like no one's watching. This is so exciting, guys. We need to give that same excitement we have for the Lord to others. So we will pursue God through the messenger, Jesus. If our pursuit is starting now, it's going to continue for all eternity when you have salvation found in Jesus Christ. May we be a church that is giving hope for the hurting, the lost, and the struggling. And may we be a messenger like the one before us, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came to save others just as much as he came to save you. May we live like that every day. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, we all have fallen short. We all have the same problem. It's the problem of sin. And God, you sent your son as the messenger of the covenant, both to save us, but also to come back and sit on that seat of judgment because he's the only one that lived a life without sin. And he knows. He knows our hearts, but he still did it. He still died on the cross. He still rose from the dead. And won victory over death for all humanity. So let us put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And be messengers of salvation as we leave the, the church building or if we're watching online, we just we leave the place and space we're at realizing that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to be messengers of salvation in our community and in our world. We say all this in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.